0: Welcome to Time Travelling Teamp, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha.
1: And I'm Patty. Today we are once again going back into Earth's past with the TARDIS crew going to explore the Crusades. We will be talking about the characters and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole.
0: We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story. To join the discussion you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at teamp at teampproductions.com. Now, though, on to the story recap. Patty, over to you.
1: Thank you. Episode 1, The Lion A couple of knights are making their way through a wooded area, unaware that they are being stalked by some Saracen troops. Unbeknownst to either force, the TARDIS also arrives in the trees behind them. In an open area of the woods, Richard the Lionheart and his companions are hunting and discussing the conflict with Salah Adin. One of the knights from earlier, William de Preu, emerges from the trees and warns the king of a potential Saracen threat in the woods but Richard fobs it off due to William's very wary nature. The Tardis crew begin to look around when they are accosted by a Saracen scout. The doctor and Ian deal with him but do not notice as another kidnaps Barbara. They hear sounds of fighting elsewhere in the woods and then they realise that Barbara is gone. They hide when they hear people approaching and as they do so the Preu and a few other knights enter the clearing carrying a wounded Richard with them. One of them William de Thornbill, is wounded by an arrow and the other is killed as the Saracens approach. Depreu puts Richard into hiding and then draws the Saracens' attentions away, claiming that he is Richard, knowing that he will most likely be taken captive. His gamble pays off and he is taken back to the Saracens' camp, but as he is brought away, he overhears the Saracen commander order all wounded and hiding knights to be hunted down and slain. A couple of Saracen soldiers come near Richard's hiding place and spot the prone body of the Thornbue. The Doctor and Ian take up arms to defend him, and Ian knocks his opponent out and the Thornbue comes to long enough to help kill the Doctor's opponent before collapsing again. The travellers reunite and realise that they are in the Holy Land during the middle of the Third Crusade. The Thornbue mumbles that the Preu is not the king and points towards a jeweled sword belt, which the Doctor realises belongs to Richard. He tells the others that they can use it to request aid in finding Barbara, but Ian impatiently takes off to find her. As he goes to search for her, he doesn't notice a dazed Richard get up and walk away from the scene. Ian returns saying he could not find Barbara and the doctor states that they will need to blend in to avoid suspicion. He suggests that he and Vicky go to the nearby city of Jaffa to find suitable clothing and Ian says that he will stay behind to build a stretcher to help carry the Thornbue when they return. As he leaves, the doctor gives the jeweled belt to Ian for safekeeping. At the Saracen camp, Depreu is brought to the same tent as Barbara. After gauging her intent, he reveals his ruse to her. She introduces herself and he comments on her strange appearance and wonders how she came to be in the woods. She promises to tell him everything if he can get her back to the woods. He asks her how he should introduce her if people inquire about her. She asks which of the king's female companions would most likely have travelled with him into the woods and Depreu says that she can pretend to be Richard's sister Joanna. The leader of the Saracen troops enters and taunts them, infuriating Depreu, as he knows this goes against the direct decree of Salah Adin to treat all prisoners with respect. They are told that they are to be presented to Safaedine, the brother of Saladin and a long-time admirer of the real Joanna. In Jaffa, the doctor visits a market stall where the vendor is eager to sell to him. He is approached by a Saracen soldier who gives him clothes stolen from Crusader knights. The doctor overhears the bartering and uses the distraction to steal the clothes himself. He then sabotages the stall to cover his getaway. Back at the Saracen camp, the leader of the troops enters Safaedine's tent, being greeted as el Akir. He boasts of his great accomplishment of having captured Richard and Joanna, which seems to have greatly pleased his lord. However, Safadine recognises that Barbara is an imposter and begins to berate Alakir, but is stopped by Salah Adin, who appears from behind the curtain in the corner. He also recognises that the preyu is not Richard, and the preyu explains who he is and what he did and begs for mercy for Barbara. Alakir tries to convince Salah Adin to use her for sport, but his suggestions are shot down with contempt from Salah Adin. He instead instructs el to take away Depreu and treat him with dignity and respect while Barbara remains with him. He questions her about who she is and how she came to be in the woods. She answers truthfully and he assumes that she and the others are wandering entertainers. He says that if she is treated well then maybe Depreu will tell Richard of his mercy when she is ransomed back. Barbara is taken aback by his calculating nature and so he invites her to learn more about him at dinner that evening where her abilities as an entertainer will be put to the test. In the Royal Palace at Jaffa, the Doctor and the Urus have brought the Thornbue and the Jewel Belt back to a grateful but irate Richard. His frustration is due to the fact that his forces are restless from being so idle and therefore causing trouble in the city, as well as the fact that his brother, Prince John, is attempting to usurp the throne back in England. Ian offers to act as an envoy on behalf of Richard in order to retrieve Barbara and the captured knights, but Richard refuses, saying that she will rot in the jail cell before he trades with the man responsible for the death of so many of his friends. Episode 2 Knight of Jaffa. The view suggests that they use the Preyu's bluff to their advantage in an effort to humiliate Salah ad Deen over the fact that it required so many men just to capture one knight. The doctor suggests exchanging 100 Saracen prisoners in exchange for the Preyu, as this would also undermine Salah ad forces that one knight is worth 100 of his men. This changes Richard's mood, and he thanks the doctor, Ian, and Vicky for their services and aid him. He calls for the Chamberlain just as his sister Joanna enters. She shows great concern for the Thornbue and Richard orders the Chamberlain to take him to his bed for aid and bring the travellers to their own quarters. Vicky offers to go with them and her voice attracts Joanna's attention. The Doctor has disguised her as a boy for her safety and explained that Victor's voice has not yet broken. As he leaves, the Chamberlain pays close attention to the clothes Vicky is wearing. The Doctor notices this and comments on it to the others as they follow onto their rooms. As they leave, Richard notices Joanna wearing a new jewel and says that it has come from Safa Adin. Richard comments on how his relationship with his enemy is a strange one. Their armies fight each other in the bloodiest of conflicts, yet Salah Adin sends Richard fruits and medicines when he is sick, and Safedin sends courtship gifts to Joanna rather than attempting to win her by force. Joanna knows that he pines for England, and Richard says he would be happy to leave if only he would be granted the city of Ascalon as recompense, but he cannot convince Salah Adin to do so as he fears Richard could use it as a staging ground to invade his homeland of Egypt. As she departs, Joanna asks if he and Saladin have any common ground, which causes him to think about Safadin's interest in her. At Saladin's camp, al is accosting a servant woman, demanding to know where Barbara is. However, the woman refuses to give him the information and leaves, passing a European merchant as she does so. The merchant offers his service to al in exchange for his sponsorship so that he may trade with Saladin. He says that he will find Barbara and bring her to his palace in the city of Lida. Barbara is getting ready for her dinner with Salah Adin and the old woman, who is her attendant, warns her of El intentions towards her. After she leaves, Barbara wonders how she will keep Salah Adin entertained and resolves to use the stories and plays of the great writers like Shakespeare and Hans Christian Andersen. As she sets about to create her story list, the merchant enters, introducing himself as Luigi Ferrego of Genoa. He tells her that he is here to help her and plays along with her belief that he is an agent of Dupreyu. He ushers her out under his cloak, but one of his gloves drops to the floor unnoticed. The servant re-enters and finds the glove. Ferrego then leads her to the stables, where el is waiting to take her into his control. Back in Jaffa, Ian is finding his new clothes uncomfortable, much to the amusement of the others. The doctor comments that it was at Richard's request that he is dressed as a knight, and he thinks Richard does intend to use Ian as an envoy after all. In the main hall... Richard is dictating a letter to Salah Adin offering a slew of Crusader territories and the hand of Joanna to Safa The travellers enter and Richard instructs Ian to bring his jeweled sword belt to Salah Adin in exchange for the Preu and Barbara. He tells them that he has selected Ian to be his envoy as he has not been affected by the war between the two forces and therefore has no animosity towards the Saracen forces. Before he goes, Richard knights Ian, thereby granting him all the privileges of a knight under Richard's command. He leaves and the others go to get changed. As they do so, the Chamberlain enters with the street merchant who they had met earlier to discuss his suspicions about the group's clothes and they accuse the Doctor and Vicky of being thieves. As the Doctor uses clever wordplay to confuse the two men who stole from him, the Chamberlain Saracen servant enters who was in fact the man who gave the clothes to the merchant in the first place. After the merchant reveals what had happened, the servant flees and the Chamberlain follows after him, but not before the Doctor forces him to repay the merchant for the lost clothes. In Salah Adin's camp, Farego is pleading for permission to trade with the Saracens from Safadin, with Salah Adin listening from the shadows. Safadin asks for his help in solving another matter and says he will consider granting his request. Salah Adin enters and summons Dupreyu and the servant woman and tells Farego of Barbara's disappearance. Farego says that she was most likely had an accomplice that spirited her away, but Salah Adin and Dupreyu state that she would not risk such a venture and that she was instead abducted. The servant woman reveals the glove that she had found and Depreu takes the other one from Farego's belt. Depreu demands to know where he took Barbara and he informs him of his dealings with El Akir. Ian arrives at the camp only to find out from Depreu that Farego has told Salah Aden that Barbara ran off voluntarily after falling in love with El Akir, which the Saracen leader believes. Ian states his intention to go to Lida despite Depreu's warnings of Elakir's reputation. At the city of Lida, Elakir arrives with Barbara. He tells his men to bring her into the house, but as they toy with her, she manages to knock them away and runs off into the night through the streets of Lydda. She avoids the sentries out looking for her and as she attempts to navigate the city streets. However, she stumbles and cries out in pain, which alerts the guards to her presence. She slips into an alcove and waits for the guards to pass. Suddenly, a hand covers her mouth. Episode 3. The Wheel of Fortune The hand belongs to an old man who pulls Barbara into safety and then dispatches the two guards following her. He introduces himself as Harun Ededin and says that he, they have a common enemy in Alakir. He takes her to a safe house and inside introduces her to his daughter, Safia, and tells Barbara of his feud with Elakir. Alakir demanded Harun's eldest daughter, Maimuna, but was refused. When he and Safia were out of the city, Alakir kidnapped Maimuna and killed his wife and son before burning the house down. He then leaves to make sure the perimeter is secure. Before he goes, he gives Barbara a knife and instructs her to kill Sophia and herself if Alakir's troops enter the house. After he is gone, Barbara talks to Sophia and realizes that Harun has not told his daughter what happened to the rest of their family and instead told her that they've gone missing. Back in Jaffa, the street merchant is outfishing the doctor and Vicky. He leaves to prepare the clothes for Vicky and once he is gone, she complains about having to pretend to be a boy. However, Joanna overhears them as she approaches the room and demands to know why they have deceived both her and Richard. The doctor explains that it was for her safety and Joanna finds it hard to resist Vicky's defence of the doctor's plan. She instead offers them her protection so as to remove the need for the pretense and sends Vicky away to summon the Chamberlain. After she leaves, Joanna asks the doctor for his help in determining what Richard is planning for her as he has been oddly withdrawn from her. He promises to help her just as Vicky returns with the Chamberlain. She instructs him to find dresses for Vicky and then leaves. Vicky confides in the doctor her insecurities about being left alone by him while Ian has gone to look for Barbara, but he promises her she has nothing to worry about. In the streets outside the safe house, Harun is knocked out by one of Alakir's men, who presents his unconscious body to his master. Alakir then tells him to gather a squad of troops to ransack the area they know Harun to be living in in the hopes of locating Barbara. In the main hall, Richard is explaining to the Doctor and his council of his plans to marry Joanna to Safa Adin in an effort to broker peace between his armies and Salah Adin's. The Doctor commends him on his plan, but says it hinges on Joanna agreeing to the match, to which Richard replies that she cannot in good conscience refuse it. The thought of peace through marriage seems to infuriate one of the council members, the Earl of Leicester, and he gets into a heated argument with the Doctor about the ethics of bloodshed for the sake of honour, instead of using intelligence to save the lives of as many men as possible. The comment of intelligence angers the Earl so much that he draws his sword on the Doctor, leading to a reprimand from Richard. At Salah Adin's camp, Safadim seems to be overjoyed with Richard's proposal, as it would give him the woman he desires and the marriage rights to too much land and wealth. Salah Adin, on the other hand, is more suspicious as he reads through Richard's words to see that they are the last attempt to request a peace from a very weary man. He agrees to the offer to keep Safadine happy, but advises he will hold his army in readiness in case there is any duplicity on the Crusader's part. However, he cannot agree to release the preyu at this time, but instead agrees to let Ian go on his mission to find Barbara. In Lydda, Barbara and Sophia can hear the sound of approaching soldiers and hide. The soldiers enter the house and look around, noticing that some of the bowls are still warm from the tea that they had earlier. The captain tells his men to set fire to the house in an effort to smoke the women out from their hiding place. Barbara tells Sophia to hide under a blanket and she sneaks back into the main room. As she tries to avoid the captain, one of the soldiers returns with a torch and they take her back into custody, leaving Sophia safe in her hiding place. On the road to Lydda, Ian is asleep at his camp, but is set upon by bandits and is knocked unconscious while wrestling with one of them. Back in Jaffa, Vicky makes an appearance in an ornate dress, much to the appreciation of Joanna and several noblemen, including the Earl of Leicester. When she presses him for information, the doctor tells Joanna that he was not able to find out anything about Richard's plans, as he had said he'd wanted to tell her himself. She storms away and is approached by the Earl, whilst the doctor tries to explain to Vicky that he cannot do anything to interfere, lest he make an enemy of Richard. However, the Earl reveals the plan to Joanna, who furiously confronts Richard as he enters. She refuses to go along with the plan, despite Richard's pleas to make her see reason. He resorts to ordering her to go ahead with the marriage, but she again refuses by stating that she will seek papal protection which she is convinced will save her as Richard's crusade was undertaken by order of the Pope. She leaves and Richard accuses the doctor of revealing the plan to Joanna and banishes him and Vicky from the court. In Lydda, Barbara is presented to Elakir, who informs her that she will be tortured to death slowly. Episode four The Warlords. Barbara remains defiant despite Elakir's taunts towards her. As he goes to reward the guard for capturing her, she uses it as a distraction by knocking gold coins in his hands to the floor and makes a break for freedom. el stops his men from scrambling for the coins and orders them after her. Their search brings them to el harem, but he orders his men to leave. He tells the women inside that Barbara has escaped and offers a great reward for the one that brings him information. The women go back into the harem where they reassure the hiding Barbara that they will not reveal her due to their hatred of el in the desert, Ian has been staked out under the sun. The bandit, whose name is Ibrahim, demands money, but Ian insists he has none, however promises a reward if he assists in his mission to Lida. Ibrahim has no interest in Ian's offer and instead pours honey on his face and directs his attention to a nearby anthill. He tells Ian, one way or the other, he will get his money. In Jaffa, the Earl of Leicester has cornered Vicky and demands to know the truth and extent of her and the Doctor's deceit. The doctor arrives and reprimands him for bullying a young girl. Vicky accuses him of being the one who told Joanna about Richard's plans, but before he can respond, Richard enters the room. He orders Lester to deal with any personal quarrels in the army so as to prepare it for battle. Lester enthusiastically agrees, and after he leaves, Richard confides in the others he now knows it was Lester who revealed the plan to his sister. He defeatedly tells him that he has no choice but for battle, as he does not have the strength to fight both Salah Adin's forces and the other Crusader nations who would back the Pope. They ask why he didn't imprison Leicester for his treachery and he informs them that Leicester is a great warrior who commands the respect of a large portion of the army and he needs men like him to keep the army together during the fight ahead. Richard apologises for his treatment of the two and requests that they go to the city of Acre where they will be safe until he returns from the battlefield. The Doctor happily agrees and informs Vicky that they will be going back to the ship as Richard's forces will lose the approaching battle. Vicky is upset at this as the Doctor tells her that history must take its natural course. After they leave, Richard prays for divine help in the battle ahead. One of the Earl's men notices them leave and reports back to his lord, who commands him to assemble a squad to go after them so he can deduce if they're traitors or worse, demons seeking to poison the king's mind. In the harem, one of the women is revealed to be Maimuna, and Barbara tells her of her father's hopes to rescue her and kill al Unbeknownst to them, another woman named Fatima is eavesdropping on them. She slips away unnoticed as Mamuna shows Barbara a nearby balcony that could be used as a potential escape route. She goes to al and forms him of barber's whereabouts in exchange for the reward he promised. Back in the desert, Ibrahim taunts Ian as the ants approach him. Ian takes a chance to make a break for freedom and tells Ibrahim that the money is actually in his boot. Ibrahim unpegs first one leg and then the other, but Ian kicks him away and then manages to pull up the pegs holding his hands. He struggles with Ibrahim and eventually gets the upper hand. He forces Ibrahim to take him to Lydda, but they would have to go on foot as the other bandit took away Ian's horse. They eventually reach Alakir's house where they find one of the guards outside dead. Ian tells Ibrahim of his mission, who seems a bit more willing to help when he thinks that there is a chance that Alakir will be killed as he is a tyrant who has made the locals' lives miserable. He promises to steal some horses for Ian. Fatima's deception is revealed to Barbara and Maimuna, but too late as Alakir enters the room. Before he can administer any punishment though, he falls to the ground with a knife in his back. Harun enters and has a tearful reunion with his daughter. Before they can leave, Fatima returns and alerts the guards, but Ian arrives first and together he and Harun dispatch them. They flee, with Fatima attempting to follow them, but she is surrounded by the other women of the harem, cutting off her escape. They reach the stables and Ian pays Ibrahim with gold taken from the palace, but Harun urges them on as the rest of Alakir's men will soon be after them. Back in the woods, the Doctor and Vicky are hiding as they watch the Earl's men patrol for them. Vicky goes ahead to the TARDIS, but as the Doctor is about to follow, he is spotted by one of the soldiers. Vicky is about to go back for him when she is stopped by Barbara. Ian enters the clearing where the Doctor is in custody and introduces himself, stating that he has been searching for the Doctor to out him as a Saracen spy. The Earl offers to administer the execution there, but Ian begs that he be allowed to do it, saying that the Doctor's treachery resulted in the deaths of several of his friends, using the names of some of Richard's fallen men. The Earl says Ian has the greater claim to justice, and the Doctor requests one last look at Jaffa before he is to die. Ian leads him back to the viewpoint, which happens to be direction of the TARDIS. The four friends happily reunite, but Vicky's laughter is overheard, and the Earl and his men rush to the source of the sound. Just in time to see the TARDIS take off, the Earl swears he's meant to secrecy, and then mourns the loss of brave Sir Ian. Inside the TARDIS, the travelers are laughing about their escape and are happy to be safe again. However, it is short-lived, as the lights suddenly grow dim, and they are immobilized while the TARDIS travels on. End of the story
0: thank you for that recap patty now why don't we take a look at some trivia for the crusade
1: you're welcome and absolutely
0: <laughs> so the writer for the story was david Whitaker. we discussed david a lot um in previous episodes so i won't go into too much detail here however this was mm-hmm. the last story he wrote for william hartnell's doctor he still has five more stories to go, though, so we will discuss them again in the future. The director for the story was Douglas Campfield. We discussed Dougie in Planet of the Giants. This is the first story that he directed in its entirety. He has seven more stories to go. Apparently, during this story, he actually had a falling out with Doctor Who's regular composer, Dudley Simpson. So Dudley did a lot of the music for Doctor Who, and a lot of his music is absolutely amazing. Mm. So he and Douglas Canfield had a falling out, and Douglas Canfield refused to use him going forward in any of his stories.
1: Can't okay, we all just get along?
0: I know. The air date for this story was the 27th of March to the 17th of April 1965. So, with the Crusade, we have another story with missing episodes. We last discussed missing episodes when we talked about Marco Polo. Of this story, only episodes 1 and 3 exist in their entirety. So, how did we watch it for this review, you ask? Well, you have two options. Option one is on the DVD collection Lost in Time, which is a collection of lost stories that have missing episodes. You can watch episodes one and three in their entirety, and then have audio only for episodes two and four. This option also includes an introduction and some linking narration for episodes two and four from an older Ian Chesterton portrayed by the lovely William Russell.
1: Uh, I think we should point out that it's Sir Ian Chesterton.
0: Yes, it is Sir Ian. That's very true. My apologies, Sir Ian. The second option, and this is the version that we used as we like to review the story in its entirety as much as we can, is from our old friends at Loose Cannon. We mentioned them before in their work on Marco Polo. Similar to Marco Polo, the team put together the audio tracks from episodes 2 and 4 with stills from the episodes to give a helpful visual to match the audio and also included like little descriptions when there's you know only action sounds and no one talking they included little descriptions of what was happening personally i prefer this to just the audio with no visual context but that's yeah. just my preference
1: yeah no thank again thank you to the good people of Loose Cannon. you're uh, you did a really good thing for the doctor who uh, fan base
0: yeah, although in fairness, I mean, the fact that on Lost in Time you can listen to episodes mm. two and four, so you could experience the, the story end to end, is still quite good as well. Yeah. In episode three, William Russell only appears in a pre-filmed insert as he was on holiday. We've talked a lot in the past about the actors taking holidays and being written around in certain stories. He also refused to participate in the shots of the ants calling up his arm. I can understand why. Yep. And a production assistant was used in his place. So I thought some of the shots of Richard and Joanna had a bit of a Cersei and Jaime Lannister vibe to Mm. them. And I thought it was just me. But then when I was reviewing the trivia for this episode, it seems William Hartnell demanded that dialogue implying an incestuous relationship between the two be removed as he felt it was inappropriate for a family series.
1: I I think there might be some historical precedents for this as well. I I have a feel Like I know that apparently Richard was very close to Joanna, but you know it it could literally just be you know mock raking.
0: Yeah, I know next to nothing about this period of history, so that to me just came as a complete like what the fuck <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so on to our cast. We have quite an extensive cast for this story so bear with me
2: mm. so
0: Depreyu is played by John Flint this is John's first of two stories in Doctor Who the other being Time Flight his other on-screen roles include appearances in Emergency War 10 The Flying Swan and The Famous Five John passed away in 1987 Haroon was played by George Little this is his only Doctor Who credit and he's best known for playing Reverend Ruskin on Emmerdale he was also in All Creatures Great and Small, Poirot, and Evita, which I thought was quite random. Hmm. Next, as Alakir, we have Walter Randall. Now, Walter has played several people in Doctor Who. He was in the Aztecs as Tanilla, one of the High Priests, who took over from Otlock. He's obviously in the Crusade. He's in the Daleks Master Plan, The Invasion, Inferno, and Planet of the Spiders random fact about Walter is that he actually ran a restaurant with John Pertwee for five years in the 1970s
1: (laughs) that is random
0: it is very random the Earl of Leicester is played by John Bay this is John's only Doctor Who acting role oddly enough though a few years before the crusade he was in the tv series Richard the Lionheart (laughs) where he played a variety of roles John passed away in 1982 Now, on to the man himself, King Richard, is played by Julian Glover. Mm -hmm. This is his first appearance in Doctor Who, but it's not his last. We will see him again in City of Death. Most of us know who Julian Glover is. Mm -hmm. But just in case you need reminding, some of his best known roles are General Veers in Star Wars, Walter Donovan in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Kind of funny. Two Crusades related.
1: And just to... Uh one thing he in that movie he also placed first in the nineteen eighty nine Doc Brown Lookalike competition.
0: <laughs> More recently he was Grandmaster Picel in Game of Thrones, and something I didn't know is that he was actually the voice of Aragog in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets
1: i i think it was our last run through of watching harry potter myself and my wife i was like okay i need to know who the voices are for some of these characters i was like oh my god julian glover that's really cool um i love julian glover one of my favorite things i've ever seen him in was a an episode of of the darling buds of may where (laughs) where he played a con man in it an Irish codman, like which I, I suppose, I took a small bit of offence at, but you know, um, no, he, like Julian Glover, is a fantastic actor.
0: Mm. One of the things I got recently, and this doesn't relate to the trivia for the story, but it relates to trivia about me. Um, so, currently, when we're recording this, the world is going through the COVID nineteen pandemic, so conventions and all those things have been cancelled. But a number of convention runners are doing online sales of like autographs that they have collected over the years and i managed to get julian glover's autograph on a picture of him as richard the lionheart
1: nice which
0: is really cool on to the rest of our historical characters saladin is played by bernard k we previously saw bernard as tyler in the dalek invasion of earth he has two more doctor who stories to come the faceless ones and colony in space mm-hmm. joanna is played by jean marsh now i'm not going to go into detail about Jean because we will see her again in Doctor Who as Sarah Kingdom in the Daleks Master Plan and we'll discuss her a lot more when we get to that story.
1: And she also appeared in the Sylvester McCoy story Battlefield.
0: Yes which I was going to mention when we got to the Daleks Master Plan.
1: Oh right sorry. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Why do I ruin everything?
0: Lastly we have Sapadin, who's played by Roger Avon. This is his first of two Doctor Who appearances he is also in The Daleks Master Plan. <laughs> he was also in the movie Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD, which I still think is the most stupid title for a film. Separate from who, some of his other on-screen works includes The Benny Hill Show, Steptoe and Son, Coronation Street, The Baker Street Boys and Blackadder Third. He passed away in 1998.
1: Now, I don't know, I think. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Dalek Invasion of Earth uh, 2150 AD. It's such a very, like, 60s, you know, hip and happening title.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I just think it's silly.
1: <laughs> it just doesn't roll off the tongue.
0: Now, me and Patty discussed this, and we're going to include this in trivia, and it may come up in the discussion as well. But I should probably point out, obviously, we talk about Saracens and people of colour mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> in this story. All of these actors are white. Yes. Just saying.
1: Yeah. Now, the one thing that I will kind of say, though, is that for the uh, actors playing the Saracen parts, it's not like a kind of a black and white minstrel thing, you know, where it's like shoe polish, you know, slattering the faces. It's more like that kind of nutmeggy type tan that they're put on their faces just to darken the skin.
0: Yeah. But yeah. point is that yeah. we yeah. have... White actors being browned up for these roles,
1: and like it's kind of I suppose like there are one or two actual uh, African actors in the story that play the uh, guards for Elakir.
0: That is true. That is, actually that is a very important point. Not all of the actors are white, but the principals all are.
1: Yeah. In your searching of trivia, like because like when we were talking about Marco Polo, we noticed that you know there was a lot of characters playing Asian. Uh, a lot of actors playing asian parts but there didn't appear to be any controversy over it was there anything surrounding this Did you again find
0: nothing nothing that i found one of the things that was actually mentioned was i think it's the pronunciation and i'm going to get it wrong i think it's the pronunciation of saladin
2: hmm.
0: actually they were credited with pronouncing his name correctly um most western productions completely butchered his name hmm. and they were credited with pronouncing his name correctly. Also, the show got a lot of credit for the fact that they kind of inverted the Western stereotype. So, yeah. most Western productions would have King Richard being the brave, honourable warrior, and would have Saladin and Safadin being the barbarians. Yeah. Whereas in this story, while King Richard isn't a barbarian, he's not the great, honourable king that people would expect to see in a Western production. And Saladin is presented as someone who doesn't want to be a barbarian. And we'll discuss that more in our character discussion. But they were, that was acknowledged as well.
1: Yeah, I think there's like, there's only one movie from that time period that kind of comes to mind. And I can't think of it off the top of my head now. But it does kind of portray Richard as a small bit temperamental. Where like Saladin is the sort of the noble, I don't want to say noble savage because it's a not a nice term. But he's like the noble enemy. That's the way it's yeah. portrayed um so it's nice to see it done again somewhere as opposed to just being like a one-off thing you know yeah so once again thank you very much for the awesome trivia notes trish uh so how about we now get to the meat of the show and we talk about the characters in it
0: cool so we'll do the doctor first as we always do Mm -hmm. so some interesting stuff from the doctor in this story yeah we get to see what i think is his first sword fight on the
1: show so he's had uh an unarmed combat against cacillian slash bennett he's had a let's use everything in the room against the guy with the sword fight against the assassin and the romans so yeah, yep. this, this is the first time he's picked up an actual sword. Yep, and he's not half bad. No, he's not.
0: He can hold his own.
1: I was expecting him to use the stick in like a cordon switch and sort of like Yoda. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, clearly at this point in time, the Doctor has not built out the TARDIS wardrobe that we're no. used to hearing, uh, hmm. since he and Vicky have to go down into the town to get clothes. We did mention previously that future Doctors don't really care about blending in. When they travel back in time, but we can see here that Doc Bill clearly does care. Yeah. About them blending in, and you know, we hear several mentions of their clothes, particularly Barbara's clothes, raises some eyebrows.
1: Also, you later just said story You just said a very Irish thing there. Go on a way down to the town and get yourself some clothes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> True. Uh, when he is getting the clothes I love that once again he goes to get local clothes and the way he does it comes back and <laughs> bites him on the ass so we saw in Reign of Terror where he went in to get like the clothes from to show that he was like an important citizen yeah and it came back to bite him on the ass because the person selling them was like he clearly isn't <laughs> And here again, because he steals the clothes as opposed to attempting to pay for them, mm. it comes back and bites him on the ass. Though in both occurrences, he did manage to avoid all issue, yeah. and actually turns it around to his benefit, um, which is great.
1: I, I'm just waiting for like an episode like where like he tries to do it in a restaurant and he just ends up having to like wash the dishes <laughs> until his like meal <laughs> is paid off.
0: Yeah, I think in this story. Um, we get to see him, baby Vicky, yeah. a bit more than he did with Susan. We kind of got a hint of that in the Romans,
2: mm.
0: when like he didn't want Vicky to see the slave auction and stuff like that. But here, like he's very concerned about keeping Vicky out of court intrigue and like keeping her hidden. And mm. as opposed to you know saying, oh she's my ward at the beginning of the story, and, and letting her be a girl. He disguises her as a boy, and he's concerned about getting caught up in court intrigue. That's quite different from what we've seen him do with Susan, where he was protective of her, but he didn't try to hold her back from getting involved in the adventure.
1: No, but I mean, it would be interesting to see like how things would Susan, or sorry, yeah, with Susan if she had stayed around for this story, because like I suppose now we're we're coming into a, a period of history where young marriage is. Accept is acceptable or, or yeah. not, it was the thing, and like obviously, Vicky and uh Susan are, are they're both very beautiful young women, so maybe it's just the whole thing of like you know, rather than her being as you said, like political intrigue, but rather than being used like a pawn in some sort of weird marriage game, like uh, it's best to protect them from that sort of thing,
0: yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I do love his argument with Lester as well. Oh, I love um, that! It was very so good. much, you know, peace over violence, always. As mm. a very Doctor reaction, and he gets all flustered—not flustered, but he gets all. Um, what's the word? He's very enthusiastic. I don't—I can't think of any other way to describe it.
1: And like we we see it, like you know, you have, again, it's. I know that that the, this is like the first Doctor. Like this is like you know they were in the early days of the show. But it's great that it built such a foundation that whenever you kind of come into things like you know you just you talk about John Pertwee's Doctor, uh, with, you know with the Brigadier and their solution for the Silurians, or you go much further on you have got like Peter Capaldi's amazing speech about the Zygons, mm. and again you can just trace it all back to this very very great powerful scene between the the First Doctor and the Earl of Leicester.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Was there anything else about the Doctor that stood out to you in the
1: story? So, this one, more so, I suppose, than anything else, is that this, okay, look, we've had him, you know, meet famous characters from history before. Like, we've had him meet Marco Polo, we've had him meet uh, Robespierre, Robespierre. Um, we've also had him meet Nero. Now we've got him meeting, like, Richard the Lionheart this is like the I think the first time for me that he's actually felt like an observer of history because like, cause, like in uh Reina, sorry in Marco Polo he's like he's caught up like he's trying the, the ship is knackered essentially yes. and he's trying to um, trying to get it fixed and there's the whole thing of like not being allowed to go so he's kind of there against his will uh we've got Robespierre which is look he's only meeting with Robespierre for his goal of Getting the others out of the prison and reuniting with them. Uh, with this one, sorry, or with Nero, he's caught up because he looks like an assassin, so he's caught up in it. Whereas with this one, because he's watching everything unfurling, and like, I think it's a, like, there's stuff that he he knows what's about to happen. He knows the battle that's about to come. He knows what what Richard's fate is inevitably going to be, and like, he doesn't die in the battle, but he knows like the outcome of Richard's time. And I suppose like the, this just kind of felt a small bit sadder because like, the Doctor was like, to Vicky, like we can't interfere. In history must take a natural course. And he seems to have a really good rapport with both Joanna and Richard. And then just to see it all come apart, despite and knowing that he can't do anything about it, just felt a small bit sad for me.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think he tries not to have too much influence mm. in the story. I think he's trying really hard not to do anything that would alter the timeline. Yeah. But the fact that even when he's not trying to do anything, they still both take him into their confidence, I think, yeah. says a lot about him as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that just kind of lends itself to the observer, true history type observer of history type scenario, yeah. because everything, he, every even like the little bit of influence he tries to get on them is to is for the sole purpose of keeping Vicky safe and getting Barbara back.
0: Yeah, that, that's his sole purpose. Yeah, you know, in all of his interactions in the story.
1: And I, I, I love, like, whenever he takes, like, Vicky like, you know, on the knee for the little kind of teaching under the tree moment, it, it's kind of sweet to see because it's nice to see that side of the uh, William Hartland's doctor as well.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Vicky, why don't we move on to our companions. So just hmm. for our listeners' benefit, the way we've done up our notes for this story is a little bit different. So we've done companions and villains like we normally do, but we've actually taken the actual historic people out of that and just put them in their own section yeah just for context in case people are wondering why we don't mention anyone so you just mentioned the doctors you know taking Vicky on his knee and his concern for her so why don't we start off with Vicky
1: yeah cool so my thing with Vicky is that I think this is the most child like like I know that we like I said it uh, in the web planet you know where her child like thing of you know just press all the random buttons but in terms of actually going on the adventure this is the most childlike I think Vicky is because yeah. having to be disguised as a boy in her little Peter Pan like, <laughs> an esque dis- yeah discount store Robin Hood outfit you know because like this was actually one of the first pictures I ever saw of Vicky before I even saw her in the, the show and I was like what is, is this like her standard travelling clothes like what's going on here you know <laughs> Doctor Who photos out of context would be an amazing meme site um, <laughs> um but yeah she's the most childlike here uh her interactions with like the historical figures but i love her interaction with lester because it's just standing up to a bully yeah and like again while there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the sense of again herself and the doctor don't have a huge amount of direct impact into the story them as the observers of what's going on I think it's pretty cool. It's It uh, kind of helps strengthen their relationship as well.
0: Yeah, I think again in this story, and I talked about it last week, I don't think Vicky does a whole lot to impact the plot. No. But I think her little, I liked her little moments in this story better than her little moments in the web planet. Yeah. So at the beginning when, there have, when there's the fight sequence happening, um, at the end we see that Vicky had found this big rock. And I wonder if, like, Barbara told her what happened in the Romans and she was trying to do what Barbara <laughs> did <laughs> and just smack the rock down on top of somebody. Yeah, but don't um, do what Barbara did. <laughs> don't do what Barbara did hit Ian with it because that rock was massive. She also puts those medical classes she mentioned last week to good use in helping mm. um, not to pray you, the other one.
1: Oh, the thorn booth
0: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to say his name, so I made you say it for me. Um, Bill
1: bill number two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She does contribute to the plan to make Saladin look like a fool in order to get their people back. You Mm. know, like when they were like, oh, you know, let him think that like one of your men is worth a hundred of his. She does contribute a little bit to that. She's sort of getting, you know, her energy gets up a bit. Mm. Um, And like you said, we do see her standing up for herself and defending the doctor's honor. Two things that really struck me about Vicky in this story, though. One, if you were to title this from Vicky's perspective, mm. Victor Victoria, or, well, Victor Vicky, <laughs> since she's in, she, her name isn't Victoria. Yeah. As um, oh, an alternative title, maybe?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, For I can see. For anyone who
0: it. hasn't seen it, Victor Victoria is an amazing musical with Julie Andrews.
1: I wonder what the like medieval time period equivalent of like the was the Shady Dame from Brazil would be.
0: Okay, it's the Shady Dame from Seville?
2: Seville, from Brazil.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I haven't seen it in years. <laughs> so because look, because it's a crusade, we we'll call her the Shady Dame from Shropshire.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. But the other scene that I really really liked and. It's the scene that a lot of the... If you look up, like, the Doctor and Vicky, Mm. you'll sort of see this picture of the two of them sort of being really cuddly. Mm. And they look really cute and adorable. It sort of came from this scene, which is when the Doctor says that it's good for Vicky that Joanna is taking her under her wing. We can see Vicky gets a bit upset. And she's concerned that the Doctor sees her as a burden... Yeah. She's concerned that Ian and Barbara are now gone, and she's really concerned that he'll leave her behind. Yeah. And you really see that she's a kid, she's an orphan who lost everything, and this man that rescued her means everything to her. And it really scares her that he might leave her behind.
1: Yeah, like, I suppose like, that's the thing is that, like, Vicky, if we go back to her lifespan so far uh in the show like she had a she was in a very dangerous scenario that she was completely unaware of and then when it kind of brought to light the, the world can be a, a scary place now because she's orphaned and this is her new family as such so like that's why like, she's gets she gets very attached to all of them
0: yeah i do love the way the doctor responds to her though he completely puts her at ease and you know he's like you know tapping her on the nose and it it's a really really cute scene and yeah. i absolutely loved
1: it yeah it's like it's just one of those things of where like you know you get in you get into a relationship be it a friendship or a, like an actual proper relationship that you get so tied up with the person or i'm like tied up you get so invested that it's you, you just like being with them you know
0: yeah Cool, so who would you like to discuss next? Ian or Barbara?
1: So I think we should go with Ian next because for me, Barbara is... I think she deserves top billing in the companions in the story. So I'll go, I'd will go. say we'll go with Ian next.
0: Okay, so with Ian, we already know that he is a good fighter. We've seen that before. But here we get to see him show off his sword skills, yep. his ability with the shield, and also fists his hand-to-hand combat ability.
1: Yeah, just like that sort of app, fuck this and just knocks the guy out with a punch.
0: (laughs) He is willing to go toe-to-toe with King Richard in order to get Barbara back. Again, Mm. we kind of saw this in the Romans. When it comes to I'm sure it would be the same if it was Vicky or the Doctor, but obviously we see it most often with Barbara. Mm. If Barbara's gone, he has tunnel vision. Yeah. And nothing is more important than getting her back,
1: mm, mm. which I love. I I think that it, like in my own head, like that this time period for Ian, it's like every English schoolboy's dream come true to come back and be like a heroic knight.
0: <laughs> yeah. Although speaking of him being a heroic knight, first of all, we do have to acknowledge, as you said, Sir Ian. Knight of Jaffa. Knight of Jaffa. Wonder if he brought back some extra Jaffa kicks. I've, been, I've, been,
1: I've got a craving for them now this entire episode. This entire thing. I've just got a huge craving for Jaffa Cakes.
0: Will I tell you something funny? You're eating them? No. <laughs> right. But before I sat down to watch it last night,
1: yeah.
0: I had gone out and bought a box of Jaffa Cakes. <laughs> specifically <laughs> because I knew that one of the episodes had Jaffa in the title.
1: Damn you, woman.
0: Um, but Ian, as a knight, mm. I, I need to make something very clear. Ian is a very intelligent man, you know, very resourceful or whatever. But going to sleep in the middle of nowhere in an exposed area with his sword just lying there was maybe not his best idea.
1: No. And I was saying, like, OK, if you're going to camp down in no man's land, find like at least a rocky outcropping as opposed to just one big stone.
0: Yeah. Um, oh. Sorry, go on.
1: No, I was going to say, uh, but yeah, look, just maybe not the most tactical, smartest move but There are a couple of things About Ian in this That like, When you when you first Watch it Like I did so long ago It was like Ah it's Ian as a nice You know Whatever But then you go back And rewatch And you realise that There's a couple of things That he does in it That I think are very Telling of his character So mm. Number one He never kills someone Unless it's absolutely necessary Yes Like as we saw Like you know like, Rather than like ru- they Kill the guy with a sword He just knocks him out
0: Yeah
1: Also His like, he doesn't, not blackmail, but extort Ibrahim uh, to help him. Like, he, it's a sort of like, you know, he doesn't have a knife to his back or anything like that. It's like, you know, you're going to help me get to Lida, type thing. Because, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm now free, so you can make your choice. You can either help me get to Lida and maybe get something out of it or whatever the case is. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, I think he can actually read the character of someone.
0: Yeah, I think with Ibrahim, he seems... Perfectly content to trust a thief hmm. to get what he needs. Yeah. Because he recognises that Elakir is the bigger issue, both yeah. for him and for Ibrahim.
1: Yeah. But other, other, like, other than those kind of moments, it's, you know, like, yeah, Ian fighty, kicky, punchy, uh, <laughs> off to rescue his friend type thing, you know?
0: Yeah, but there is two things with that. The first, we do get to see some quick thinking from him at the end of the episode, where, like, he stumbles upon Oh, that Lester, was mistake wanting to kill the doctor and he just immediately jumps in. Yeah. And takes control of the situation and saves the doctor. And the other thing is, so it's a story of Sir Ian and like you said, it's like the, every British schoolboy's fantasy of going back and, you know, it's mm. either this or it's King Arthur. Like Those are like the two big, like, historic um, sword fighting yeah. dreams of young boys. But in a way, similar to last week while he helps them escape it's not ian who actually rescues barbara no he helps them escape at the end but our other um story-based companion that we'll be discussing in a minute he's the one that actually saves the day so again i'm kind of liking the fact that we have established ian already as the action man hero Mm. But we don't need to see him be the guy who saves the day in every single story. And I like the fact that you can still enjoy Ian as a character when he turns up two minutes after he was maybe needed.
1: Yeah. And I think we should also just take a moment in time for the passing of poor brave Sir Ian. (laughs) That... That was hilarious. I was like I just like I hope that the external you know monitor or sensors run so that they could pick up that audio. I just that's why they were bursting themselves so laughing inside the TARDIS
0: <laughs> Yeah. So you said you wanted Barbara to be our main headliner for our yeah. companions. So do you want to do the story based companions first and then loop back around to her?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's good, cool, pretty cool. So i I've, I've got three story based companions. I have two. Cool. So I have Dupreyu, uh, Harun, and I've got Ibrahim.
0: I left Ibrahim out because I didn't really see him as a companion. So why don't you just give your quick notes on Ibrahim and we can move on then to Depreyu and Harun.
1: Cool. So with Ibrahim, um, I kind of ask myself by the end of it, is he abandoned by choice or abandoned by necessity due to Elakir's tyranny? I think it's both. Yeah. And I... Because I'm kind, because you know, at the end, it's like he seems to genuinely want to help Ian, like because he's going to Elakir's compound, which is guarded mm. and all this. Ibrahim knows that it's guarded, yet he still offers to help Ian, genuinely, without trying to sell him up river. And like I'm kind of going. Go on. The
0: way Ibrahim described it, if I'm recalling correctly, is Elakir is the only rich man now. Mm. Because he took the rich from everyone so everyone else is poor. And he doesn't like stealing from the poor. All right. But he has no issues with stealing from the rich.
1: <laughs> so, Robin Hood, gotcha. Uh,
0: Robin Hood for personal gain,
1: I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, How's <is> it? <laughs> he steals from the rich and gives to himself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, I don't know if we caught it in the trivia, but I'm pretty sure that the guy that played Ibrahim was in Marco Polo. I think he plays uh Cuju, the the eyepatch guy.
0: He does look familiar now that you mention it. Because I didn't have him down as my well yeah. list of companions, I didn't look him up. Yeah. Sorry. It's it's
1: it's the it's the voice. I'm pretty sure it is him. I'm gonna double I'm gonna check that there now, okay.
0: I'll check it there. Well, you, you you keep talking, I'll check
1: it. Cool. Uh, so that was my thing for Ibrahim. That it's just like I think it's an interesting character. In terms of Haroon, um, I would very much consider him to be Saracen Liam Neeson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: first of all, yes, the guy who plays Ibrahim is in Marco Polo as kuchu
1: Oh sweet, yay! Yeah. But yeah, okay. Uh, no Haroon, he's very like Liam Neeson, and like I know that his main focus is to get his daughter back but I get the impression that at the end he would have gladly helped save every woman out of that uh, harem
0: yeah he's very much the noble father that yeah. will do anything to get his child back but I think even if his daughter hadn't been there hmm. he would have done everything to save the other women that were there I do have one issue with him
1: is it potentially shielding his daughter from the truth of what happened to the rest of the family
0: no okay correction i have two issues with him (laughs) so first of all we need to acknowledge this is a man who has lost almost everything yeah and fair fucks to the guy playing him because when he describes to Barbara what happened to his son and his wife and to his eldest daughter Mm. it's done so well you know this man is broken
1: yeah
0: however two things okay one trying to protect his daughter from pain by hiding the truth from her is a cruel mercy because he'll have to tell her eventually yeah and i get that he wants to give her hope and thankfully now she's getting her big sister back but her mother is gone and in the time You know shortly after her mother's death. She didn't have the opportunity to grieve. And also for her brother. Um, So it's kind of a cruel mercy. The second thing. About his character. Is the position he put Barbara in. Yeah. That she is to kill Sophia. If someone should discover them. Is a terrible thing. To ask of someone. Also because clearly. Sophia didn't know. That that was the ultimate defense. Joe, you know, it's not like it's something they agreed that they'd both rather die than be taken captive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's he would rather his youngest daughter be killed than face the same fate as his eldest daughter. And to put that responsibility on Barbara, I think is a bit much.
1: Yeah, no, like I can. Like be- it's almost like you know like you're kind of calling in a, a debt it's like you know, like I saved you now you can repay the favour which is I don't know like, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's an equal exchange you know
0: yeah
1: um, because like what I would you'd have a scenario where like you know Barbara like he can't really ju- like be the best judge of Barbara's character like so what happens if you know, say he came back got into a struggle with the guards Barbara panicked and then killed his daughter like accidentally or unnecessarily it's like it's a bit of a fucking dicey situation to put someone that you just barely knew into you know
0: yeah and for then for Sophia to realise that Barbara has the knife and Barbara has to try and explain it it's just it's a really it's a horrible position to put someone in Mm -hmm. saying that though I do like him as a character and I love the fact that at the end he has fulfilled his purpose yeah It was the one thing he wanted to do, and he did it. And I love him. I think he's great.
1: And it's something that we don't see with a lot of uh, Doctor Who story-based companions. Like, we don't get to see the resolution to their thing, you know? Yep. Kind of brings me back to Outlock. Like, he just wandered off. We don't know what happened to him.
0: Mm. And speaking of a companion that we don't really get to see the end of their story, Dupreyu.
1: Yeah. I Uh, think who
0: kind of drops off the map at one point,
1: (laughs) which is a shame because I really like to pray you. I think he's a I thought
0: he was great, I thought he was very charismatic. Yeah, he's clearly a good servant to his king. He immediately was willing to stand up and say, I am Malachric, and there was no hesitation whatsoever.
1: (laughs) I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. (laughs) That's um, also like immediately with like his. I would say chivalry because chivalry doesn't completely uh, constitute looking after women but his his personal code of honour demanded that he try and defend Barbara and for all he knew like that she could just be like a double agent like or someone that's like against Richard but he decides to do like the the honourable thing and bring him in and he again put himself at even further risk one by lying about being Richard and two about lying that Barbara is a member of the royal family and it's like, it's like it's the sign of a uh, of a good servant. Or like, or a good friend, or a good servant.
0: Yeah, and like, he immediately jumps in to protect her mm. at every opportunity. So when Alakir is sort of insulting her, when he finds out that she's Joanna, quote, yeah, he immediately jumps in. Mm-hmm. When they talk about what they're going to do to her, now they realize that she's not Joanna again. He's willing to jump into a fight. Like he physically goes to. Puck someone in the head. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is great. And I love that fact. That even though he doesn't know her very well. He doesn't buy the merchant story. That Barbara fell for Alakir.
1: And he's like not. Nah. No. Absolutely not like. And I, I, I would have liked to have seen some resolution. But then again like as we said. Like this is a story where. Actually yeah, know as we put, We kind of said like you know. like With Harun, Haroon gets his resolution but we're left up in the as to the fates of like you know Joanna and Richard like ordered in history about you know yep. Joanna and Richard but to pray you like is he ransomed back does he have to live his life as a Saracen slave is what's what's going what's going to happen um, there's like there are times where it's kind of like, you'd love to know if there's like a, a fan fiction or a story or an audio about how these characters their story just ended up you know
0: yeah and the thing that about Dupreyu is that he was such an engaging, charismatic character hmm. I kind of wanted him and Ian to go off together to <laughs> find Barbara yeah. and Night then for them to find that she's already been rescued and be like, okay, cool.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Night bros. Oh! <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I think it would have been great. Um, yeah. I don't know why they didn't do that.
1: Mm. Maybe just like the oh, like the overwhelming sense of testosterone and machoism would have been too much for the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, like, it's like the it's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Carl Weathers is like uh, arm wrestle handshake from Predator. Just like, oh my god, just God, so much manliness. <laughs> Ian to pray you, you son of a bitch. Um so <laughs> sorry. Oh god. So how about we move on to Barbara now?
0: Yes, Barbara. I mentioned in last week's episode that I kind of feel bad that, you know, for the last 10 years I had her looped in with Ian and yeah. I sort of only ever saw them as a duo. Yeah. I love Barbara. I love her. Mm-hmm. I want to marry her. She's freaking amazing.
1: Just the way you said I love her and the pause I love her, is like, okay, Eponine, take it easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously... I love her to bits. In this story, I also love her hair. Yeah. Random, I know, but her hair was very stylish. Now, in fairness, it's... I think what I love about Barbara is particularly this season, so particularly season two, though it did happen a lot in season one as well, she does fall under the trope of getting captured. Like She doesn't even make it five minutes in this story before she's captured and taken away. However, similar to in Reign of Terror and similar to in the Romans, she doesn't just take it lying down. No. She is quickly trying to figure out how the frick can I escape? When they're in the camp, she's, she's turning to Depréo, being like, okay, so what are we doing? Like, how, how are we getting out of here? When she gets taken away by Alakir, she escapes so many times.
1: And I was like... I, I- I was thinking, if I was Barbara, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, Ara, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Because, like, why do I even bother trying to escape? they just catch me five minutes later. But, no, I I love her never-say-die attitude.
0: Yeah, it sort of reminds me of... um... (laughs) Different companion for a second, right? Mm. There's a fanfiction that's not suitable for younger audiences about Sarah Jane, a Mm. companion that we'll see a lot later on. And how uh, she's going to be sacrificed in this like virgin sacrifice thing. Yeah. And she starts I talking back going, what do you on about virgin? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and Barbara kind of reminds me of that. It's like, oh, you took me because you thought I was weak. Seriously? Yeah. Bitch, I could do this any day of the
1: week. It kind of reminds me as a, a weird kind of tangential thing. You know, the way uh, William Russell was in The Great Escape. Mm. It reminds me of what like the um, the group officer uh like when he when he meets the comment at the camp he goes look it is the sworn duty of every british officer to harass the enemy to the best of their ability so it's like of course we're prisoners but that doesn't mean we're still not going to fucking annoy the shit out of you so it's like barbara's pretty much in that vein
0: yeah very much so we do get to see her again you know kind of what similar to what we saw in the dalek invasion of earth where she uses her own knowledge Mm. To her benefit. So with the Dalek invasion of Earth, it was coming up with historical battles to steal strategies to try and persuade the Daleks that yeah. the humans were up to something. Here, she's like, I've got to tell stories. Oh, shit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, wait, I know loads of stories. Shakespeare. Hans Christian ha- Andersen. <laughs> my <laughs> own life. I've, I've plenty of stories to tell.
1: But if she was to do that in like the thousand and ones style where each story leads into the next, I would love, love to know how King Lear leads into Thumbelina.
2: <laughs>
1: Thumbelina dance. The dragon. Right
0: there, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, God, I'd pay money to see that. But, and then we also, we have um, Mama Barbara mode kicking in big time as well with her. We I know that we said it was a kind of a shitty thing to do to her but her willingness to you know with to think with Sophia like that she would rather risk her own life or she would rather risk recaptured and kill her you know even as an act of mercy
0: yeah i think you know it really stands to barbara's character is the fact that like when she's faced with that position hmm. you know she could have killed sophia hmm. but realistically speaking she still would have been locked in that room yeah and they were going to set fire to the house so it actually wouldn't have done her any benefit anyway
1: yeah
0: Um, it would have saved sophia death by smoke inhalation and death by burning but that was about it um but again she's always willing to put herself at risk first to protect Mm. someone else
1: so i'm actually going to ask you a question there now right we've got we've got a few more stories uh, to go with Ian or Barbara,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where does Barbara now rank in your top five? Two. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. All right. I don't uh, think
0: she'll ever topple my top pick.
1: alright I yeah, like it, it. It would. It would take an awful lot to to to, to peak or sorry, to overcome that top pick for you. Like.
0: Yeah, it it really would. However. She is definitely a very 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 close second at this point in time, yeah. and you know I've talked about you know going to conventions and stuff. I was able to meet my top pick, mm-hmm. which is one of the best expen- convention experiences I've ever had, and I'm really gutted that I would never be able to meet Jacqueline Hill
1: yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a shame but she left an amazing legacy which we will be talking about when we do a Ramblings episode
0: yes indeed was there anything else you wanted to add about Barbara before we move on
1: oh, like other than like that we could other than to say the usual line of you know badass Barbara
0: yep running around with no shoes on
1: yeah Jesus especially in the dark like, like I, I even I don't do that I was like no nope, no nope.
0: That's because you never go anywhere with your socks on.
1: Okay, let's not bring that up. Let's 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 move on to <laughs> Let's move on to villains, shall we?
0: Okay, so on to the villains. So let's do the, the what I would consider the smaller villain first, which is the Earl of Leicester. Or do you have another person?
1: I have a very small brief mention for Fatima.
0: Again, I similar to ibrahim i didn't really consider her a villain she was just a plot point but go on
1: no in the same, and just in the thing of like this is clearly someone that wanted to you know get to the top but now she's paying the price for it and i really want them to recover this the last episode because i want to see the sequence for all the other females in the the harem surround her
0: oh yeah that, that because, would be really cool to watch
1: be, because like obviously like we hear her reaction but i want to see, like i want to see the actresses face during it you know because that, i think that would be an amazing uh-huh, scene yeah so now we move on to the earl of lester prick i've got vindictive dangerous bollocks
0: also known as prick prick <laughs> yeah yeah he's clearly someone who came on the crusade for one reason and one reason only to fight and kill people yep that is it
1: and, like, I think, as we were saying earlier on in the trivia about the depiction of Richard and Saladin, this is, like, the stereotypical representation of, you know, a crusader with his mindset towards the Saracens. They're, oh, like, they're ungodly, they're heathens, they should only be butchered, that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. He clearly puts no stock in peace whatsoever. No. And he has no issue with playing people off each other to get the battle that he wants.
1: Oh, Absolutely. And I love as well, like, that he's meant to be, like... an And that's the thing about, you know, you see in, like, movies and TV shows about knights. That they can be, like, the most, like, unknightly people going. And I love his debate with the Doctor and, like, you know, the caveman DNA reference. And it's just, like, you know, you're drawing your sword on an old man. Oh, bravo, you, you Johnny Big Bollocks, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think he's... He he doesn't appear in the story that much. um, And his effect on the story as a whole I don't think is that big. No. But for derailing the Doctor and Vicky and their sort of trying to remain off to the sidelines, um, he has a big impact on that. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh,
1: prick. No, just, yeah, fuck it, I hope you get a spear in the back or something in the battle.
0: (laughs) So, next we have here. Mm. Um, I am going to say, he reminds me, and the storyline surrounding him reminds me of a, I wouldn't say it's a controversial episode, it's a polarizing episode of Stargate SG-1 called Emancipation. Yeah. Otherwise known as the one with Sam in the blue dress. Yeah. And he reminds me of Turgon, the warlord that she gets sold to Mm. in that story. But he only reminds me of Torgon in, like, the second half of the story. Because in the first half, he seems to be the bootlicker, you know, who'll do anything to get in good standing. Hmm. Um, Knows that making his leaders happy will mean good fortune for him. And that type of thing. He doesn't take the time to verify information. He's just willing to jump in. But then in the second half, he really becomes this, like... Warlord esque figure, you mm. know he has his harem. He doesn't. He has no issue burning people to get what he wants, and he's this constant drive to make people a suffer if they do anything, you know, to make him look bad. But like, he's just so vindictive.
1: Oh yeah, like he's as like much like uh, Lester, like he's the stereotypical depiction of like a monstrous heathen uh, saracen like you know he's savage and he's hedonistic but what i love about uh, like here in this right is that one even his own uh people they hate him yeah. saladin thinks he's a scumbag and he's like <laughs> i don't want anything to do with you uh but i don't know if you read this the same way that i did but i think that it's his reputation and his status is what makes him the villain as opposed to any sort of like ...physical imposingness or actual sense of terror coming off him.
0: I think w- within the area where he has power... Yeah. ...it is him, the man, that scares people. Because he burns people. <laughs> he burns down houses and he's a tyrant. Yeah. Um, but I think outside of his immediate sphere... It's probably just the idea of him,
1: because like when he walked when he walked into the room at like into the harem at the end, you know, I was like going, like in a one-on-one scenario, like I'm putting my money on Barbara, like I I, I honestly think that she, you know, she'd beat him in a fight.
0: Oh yeah, but like you kind of get the sense that like he may not be one for physical altercations, although he does obviously participate in the fight at the beginning. Yeah, but he is vindictive. And willing to do anything to get what he wants.
1: Oh, big time! Now, where would you like? Who would you think of the two, Earl, or Lester or Akir is the worst?
0: I think Akir because yeah. at the beginning you think of him just as like a bumbling, kick, you know, kiss ass. Yeah. But then you find out, and it's the story that Harun tells, and like I said, then the way he speaks to Barbara. Um, the sort of implied threats therein, um, and his Torgon like, mm. second half, mm. I think that makes him, A, the bigger villain, because he's having a direct impact on the safety of one of our characters, but also makes him the more interesting character, because he's he's got some extra layers to him, whereas I think Earl of Leicester is pretty one note.
1: Yeah. Something just really popped into my head there, right? Now, it's going to sound really weird, but... So like we've talked before about Barbara being in scenarios that are of a potentially sexual sex sexual abuse. Uh, yeah, sexual I was trying to say abusive as all right. Right. So at this stage now it's I won't say it's old hat because that's kinda just implies something really bad, but she has confronted this scenario enough times that she knows how strong she is and she knows yep. how these guys respond. And I recently watched some scenes from Star Trek, you know, the drumhead. Where like yep. uh, uh, Picard throws the 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 you know the prosecutor her father's famous words he throws that back at her and she snaps and she goes I brought down bigger men than you Picard in a kind of inverted way with this I have this feeling that Barbara's like do what I've dealt with way worse fucking scumbags than you
0: yeah and like I said like, this the second half of this ep- of the story really does remind me of Emancipation
2: yeah
0: do you know like in Emancipation. Um, in Stargate, like, Carter A, is willing to do things to help the other women um, but also she stands up to Targon no problem. It's mm. like, you know you can't defeat me. I've taken down men bigger than you.
1: Yeah. Go Barbara. Uh, and
0: I think it's a really good, you know, we don't like talking about the whole sexual connotation in these stories because mm. it comes up a lot more than we'd like but I think in this story it kind of shows barbara coming out the other side
2: mm.
0: of this ongoing plot thread yeah you know she's always stood up for herself um she's always you know fought back or whatever but i think this scenario really sort of shows just how far she's come definitely so, lastly, we have our historical characters. Now, I am conscious that our discussion has gone on for quite a long time, which is great, mm. but our listeners are probably going get on with it already. So, we have Richard, Joanna, Saladin, and Sapadin. So, let's go through these a little bit quicker. Um, so, starting with Richard.
1: Cool. So, do you want to go first or do I go first?
0: Uh, I'll go first. So, Richard is... Not the Richard I'm used to seeing. So I said, mm-hmm. I don't really know a lot about this period in history. And my only depictions of Richard the Lionheart I've seen are in versions of Robin Hood. Yeah. Specifically, the Disney version, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Um, <laughs> those three. <Yeah. laughs> the only three I've seen. At first, I was struck by the fact that he seems very genial and friendly. You know, seems to have great camaraderie with people but again we see the other side of that where he's like that with his friends
2: mm.
0: you're not my friend buddy <laughs> yeah we're not have, i will not be nice to you because you're not my friend yeah. um, and if you do anything against his friends like he has no big picture vision it's just no i'm not i don't care about this random woman she can grow old in a cave for all i care yeah, because they hurt my friends, and you're like, "I'll oh, grow up." And then, like the one thing that I have written down about him very far uh, at the beginning is he's very Shakespearean. Mm. His language, the way he speaks, the way um, Julian Glover portrayed him—it's like he's being plucked out of a Shakespearean play.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Like I pretty much kind of got very similar. Uh, notes to you is that like he kind of not the typical depiction we've seen of Richard he's a like, very childish and petulant at times Like and like there are times like, where he seems very jovial he can just like turn on like a switch and Julian Glover does a great job like of portraying like him that he's so emotionally drained from war that it just seems like his capacity for rational thought just flies out the window at times
0: yeah one question I'd have for you and mm-hmm. this is my final note on Richard at the battle in the beginning yeah. and like when, when we see him escape towards the yeah. end of the battle and stuff do you get the sense they were trying to portray him that like everyone sees like he's richard the Lionheart?
2: Hmm.
0: do you know do you ever get the sense that they were trying to portray him as like a bit bumbling you know that he's maybe not the best fighter he's not very courageous or was that just me
1: was it like I can kind of, I can kind of see it, but it, because I, but I marked it down to the fact that he's probably concussed because he's got a head wound and he kind of staggers away from the battle scene, so mm. he's probably not all there in the head at that point in time.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Our other historical figure we have is from the English side of things, mm-hmm. is Joanna. Yeah. Who, for one, looks nothing like Barbara. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Depreux, you were really. You really would have had to sell that one for anyone to believe you. Yeah. So, what do you think about Joanna?
1: Oh, so what I put down about Joanna is that she is a very American high school kind of cheerleader type thing, in the sense of like she's no perfectly happy for American listeners. Ab- absolutely not. I'm talking about the stereotypical depiction of the class structure that you have in high schools. Um, in the sense, of, like you know, she's perfectly happy to accept gifts but when the object of her affection is revealed, oh, it's, you know, like, you know, how could you even possibly think I could end up with someone like you type scenario?
0: Yeah, I found that really fucking bizarre. It's like she has no problem wearing the jewels he gives her. Yeah. But then when the idea of marriage is proposed to her, she understandably gets upset as fuck about the fact that they're playing with her life. Yeah. And using her as some pawn. She wasn't consulted and stuff like that, and we'll get to that in a second, but the things she says about him and the way she describes it you're like then why were you accepting gifts from him and why were you wearing them
1: i suppose you could kind of put it down as like you know well if the enemy is foolish enough to send me nice trinkets then like i'm not going to object to it
0: oh yeah but it's a bit fucking stupid like
1: yeah it, it kind of is like if 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 like he's so monstrous and if he's so like uh, ungodly then why would you be wearing a gift from an ungodly person if you're kind of, yeah. if you like, if you're willing to back up your refusal by going straight to the Pope, um, uh, then it's like, yeah, well, you really shouldn't be kind of teasing him along in the first place, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Which again, and is it, it's as you said, it's like a what the fuck? Because when you first meet her, she's so good natured and kind towards Vicky and the Doctor, and like she seems to have a really good relationship with Richard, and then it's just like, what?
0: Yeah, well, I said I think her what reaction is completely fucking justified
1: oh yeah like obviously no one likes the concept of arranged marriage
0: she clearly does not like being kept out of the loop Hmm. at all and the idea that her brother would essentially trade her to the enemy Hmm. I mean I love the blow up she has at him it's fucking brilliant to watch particularly because at the end you can kind of tell Richard's like I don't go to the Pope yeah it's like don't go tell dad please
2: please
0: (laughs) i think she's a very strong woman she knows what she wants she takes no shit from nobody and she can stand up for herself i think she does have a very caring nature that we see in the interactions she has with vicky and stuff but i think when it comes to romantic entanglements she's a bitch
1: yeah I think that's one thing about all the the like the, the four characters that we're just about to discuss here really quickly is that they're very nuanced and they're very multifaceted.
0: Yes. Because we could probably go next to the other side of that romantic equation, which yeah. is Sephidon. Yeah. Who clearly cares a lot for Joanna.
1: Hmm. Like absolutely. Like he seems to be like he like when he's kind of given the offer of like, you know, Richard's offer, it's a case of like, well, you know, we'd have this land, but I'd also have the woman that I'm desiring you know
0: yeah like he clearly cares for her a great deal and he seems genuinely really happy at the thought that he'll get to marry her and then he looks so devastated when saladin basically says like it's not gonna work that's not gonna happen and like the fact that his brother doesn't fully support it it seems to really devastate him poor guy
2: yeah
1: and like one thing that i i liked about his infatuation with her was is that it, it seemed to be genuine affection as opposed to lusty lusty yeah me me want white woman type thing you know
0: yeah no i very much agree because if it was kind of a lusty lusty thing yeah um you kind of imagine that he'd go after barbara a bit more yeah um because even salida is like you know she's a very beautiful woman but as far as saffodin's concerned barbara could be a fucking troll in comparison (laughs) to joanna
1: (laughs) i i also like that there's a there's a way about him that like he seems to be very loyal to, to uh, Salah Adin. He just yeah. like, isn't like, well, he only wants like a small piece of land for himself, a place to call my own. Uh, he also, he also has this like weird fake end boss vibe about him. Because it's like, oh, you thought you defeated the head of the army. Well, all of a sudden, oh, it's coming Salah bitches from behind the curtain. Yeah. Shall we move on to that man? So, and then go on yes. to the overall. Okay. Yes. So, so for Saladin I don't have a whole lot um, I enjoyed his back and forth with Barbara mm. um, it was really really cool I like his depiction as well that you know the classical depiction is like of a you know the noble enemy but it's kind of tempered here with a small bit he's very cool and he's very calculating it's like he lets Saladin suss people out and then he comes in with you know the final decision um, and again like uh, was Bernard Kay uh, doing the acting for him it's just amazing with the role
0: yeah he played it really really well Um, i think some of his line delivery was a little bit flat but i don't know if that was intentional
1: i i'd say like it's like you know to get across the fact that he's not a very passionate character everything is you know calm cool collected thought about
0: yeah and i do like the idea that you know we're because you know we enter the story kind of from the englishman's perspective You're meant to see them as barbarians and stuff, and he clearly does not want to be seen that way. You know, it's kind of like he's aware of the propaganda, and he needs people to realize that he is not a barbarian, he is not a monster, and you know that means that his prisoners are treated well, and he's he's banking a lot on keeping his prisoners treated well.
2: Hmm.
0: However, that doesn't mean he's Mister Nice Guy. Yeah, and when he reminds Barbara of the fact that um when she's like oh like Shahrazad hmm. and he's like yeah who also had a death penalty hanging over her head it's like yeah I'm gonna treat you well and you're gonna come and you're gonna tell us stories you're going to entertain me it's gonna be great but I can still kill you yeah do not forget that fact
1: I think that when it comes to like using his actual historical figures this is probably the most balanced and down-the-line representation of any of the historical figures that we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, I would agree. So that was a very extensive character discussion, Mm -hmm. but I think it was a worthwhile one. We had a lot of interesting characters in this story. Oh definitely But now we come To the important point The scoring
1: The scoring
0: So buddy How did you score The Crusade
1: I initially My first watch through this I've always seen it mm-hmm. once before My first one on through this I was like Yeah you know It's grand It's You know like It's The fact that it was I suppose then it was Like a missing episode mm-hmm. Like when I started Like watching Doctor Who From the very start I found it very hard To just focus completely On the missing stories so I'd be playing like Free Cell or something like that as I was doing it. But now just now going back and actually focusing on everything, I never realized how much I really, really enjoyed the story. It's like a great example of like his, uh, how purely historical. And I really wish that they'd start bringing more purely historical stuff back with no sort of fantastical elements to them. Um, I like the larger presence of the historical figures. And in a in a very fitting capacity, in the sense of like that, they seem to be going about their normal things, their normal lives, and the side plot and what was going on for the doctor and the guys. There was very little crossover. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that again everyone is split up, but you're constantly engaged as to what each one's doing. You want to go back and forth between them, and I, as a result of all that, I'm putting this as a for me as a five out of five.
0: Wow, very good. Yeah.
1: I had long kind of hard thought about it and I was like you know what I wasn't bored throughout any of it there wasn't a whole lot that I didn't like the only thing I didn't I suppose didn't like was the characters which like I'm designed not to like them you know like Lester and like here, it just kind of brought up a lot of interesting thoughts and stuff like that and again like we nearly had an hour long discussion over them so um, yeah it's a 5 out of 5 for me
0: very good I don't rate it as highly as you do it's a 4.5 for me Which is still quite good, I mean...
1: Yeah, it's very good-like.
0: You know, it takes a lot for us to break the four barrier, never mind get to five, so... 4.5 is very good. I really liked the story. The only thing I would say is that while I liked seeing the other characters, so the Doctor, Vicky, and Ian, as more bystanders, Hmm. I think it kind of slowed down the episode or the story a bit much for me. Like, even Ian, who valiantly went off to rescue her, he didn't do a whole lot until the end. And I know that William Russell was on holiday, but if you're going to write it that he's going valiantly off to rescue her and then not have him essentially be in an episode, well, maybe you should have described him doing something else. However, the plethora of characters we get is amazing. And Barbara as always. Is freaking awesome. I think this is probably one of Barbara's strongest. I think.
1: No I'd agree. Definitely.
0: I loved the Shakespearean elements of the story. Like I said I think particularly. Richard and Joanna. or You could just pluck them right out of a Shakespearean play. I think that was really really well done. And I'm sad I wasn't able to watch. Completely. The missing episodes. Mm. Um, in saying that though. My recommendation would be. If you are going to watch this story. I would recommend doing the loose canon versions. Of episodes 2 and 4. Because the. Version on the DVD. Is just the audio. And strangely enough. It's just audio. You can't fast forward through. So it's just the audio. You can't fast forward So Bits where there's silence. Hmm or oh, whereas there's fighting, there's no description on screen to tell you what's happening and you can't skip over it. Whereas the loose cannon version, obviously you have the stills to help keep you up to speed on, wh- on where everyone is and, you know, relatively speaking, where they're positioned. And they give you the little descriptions, which is great. Oh. However, I would advise that if you are going to do it that way, do watch the old Ian bonus footage. Yeah. That's great. <laughs>
1: Oh, I love seeing amazing. William Russell
0: come back as old Ian. He's fucking brilliant.
1: Yeah. It was just like it, it, it was just sweet. That's all like that that's the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah. So overall I think this is a really good story, but the the takeaway the bit that takes away points for me is hmm. while the bystander stuff was interesting to discuss, it wasn't hmm. very interesting to watch.
1: Yeah. No, not that that's fair like i suppose like maybe i I was kind of into it as well because i like that period of history and not not it's not to say like that if you're like you only if you're into history will you appreciate the thing fully uh but that just added another facet to my enjoyment of the story so yeah like i think like a 4.5 is also a very very healthy score you know for enjoying the the thing and like that's the thing about uh who as well as that like, some people, they prefer the science fiction elements, other people prefer the historical elements, other people prefer the pseudo-historical. Mm. So, like, like, again, there's something there to cater for everyone. And I think this is, again, th- for me, I would love to see something like this particular story come back where there's no aliens, there's very little science involved in it, uh, and it's just purely historical stuff.
0: Yeah, I would also love to see, like, the way they're doing Reign of Terror where yeah. they animated the missing episodes, they have the audio. Yeah. There's no reason why they couldn't animate the missing episodes for this as well.
1: Um,
0: mm. Because as, as awesome as the loose canon stuff is, it is still just stills. So I think if they were to try to animate it this either the way they did Reign of Terror or, you know, in maybe a, a different way, I think that would be really good as well.
2: Yeah.
1: And so we come to the end of the Crusade. So guys, join us next week when we'll be discussing the Space Museum. Bye-bye. Bye.